Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Mark chapter 6, while I open up my notes here. I think one of the greatest dangers for, uh, for every Christian is to hear truth and not to apply it. To know truth and leave it unapplied. And we're going to study today that unapplied truths make no changes. One of the things that I've found true in my life is that I know a whole lot of stuff from the Bible, so for a whole lot of stories. And I say, well, that's bragging. Well, no, it's not, because if you don't apply it, it's worthless. Um, and I have found a lot of things that it's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. And I've known that for a long time. And it just kind of smacks you upside the head with it. God, God goes, Kah! you've known it, but you've never done anything with it. And it's dangerous to do that for a Christian. Uh, James, the book of James warns us uh, to not be uh, uh, hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word. Okay, so we got a, I got a picture, uh, a few pictures to show you, and one's of this house, and uh, uh, that's a that's a okay house. I hope you can see it well, um, but if you can really look at it, you see you see it's got some spots. It definitely needs a paint job. Okay, it needs the brush cleared out. It needs some trees cut down. Uh, it needs a whole lot of work done to it, and become a really nice house. Okay, let's pretend for a moment this is your house. <laughs> now, if we were pretending for a moment this is my house, I'd be happy. <laughs> And I'd be like, woohoo. All right. But, uh, but let's, let's say this is your house for a moment. All right. Start thinking of all the stuff that you could make it be. All right. Look at all the changes that you would do. And everybody's picture would look different. Uh, the person who actually owned this house changed it into this. Um, that same house looks real nice, completely different. Right. Uh, the back, the, the, the previous picture kind of looks like a haunted house. Uh, that looks like a livable house. All right. And, uh, and so go back to the other picture. And let's say you live in this house and you've been there for a while and, and you have your friends come over and one of your friends goes, hey man, you know, a little bit of paint would go a long way. You know, yeah. you chop down that tree or trim up those bushes and just rake off the leaves. It would look really nice. And, uh, and so you take your friend to the garage, which is around the back of the house. You take him to the garage and, and you open the garage door and you, see, and you say to your friends, see, look at all this. And there's buckets of paint. There's paintbrushes, there's rollers, there's, uh, there's caulking to seal back up the windows, there's a brand new chainsaw that you bought, a weed eater, lawnmower, rakes, shovels, uh, a pallet of mulch so that you can put it all in front of the house, and you're thinking of this picture in your head, and you're like, isn't that nice? But the reality is, you've not touched that stuff, so that's not the reality. You have all the stuff... And your friend goes, oh, you just get this? No, man, I've had this for like six months. <laughs> Isn't it cool? Well, yeah. But what are you doing with it? I'm like, that's, that's basically Christians uh, uh, live, live this truth in their lives all the time. We know a whole lot about God and about His Word. We give it stored up in our heads. We bring it out sometimes to show it off to other people. We bring it out sometimes to look at it and go, man, this stuff has the potential to really make me a mm, Christian. One of those, ah! And then we store it back. We don't do anything with it. We put it back in our little garage. All right? And, uh, 
We have a, a lot of stories and stuff like that, but we know this stuff, but only theoretically because we've never really dug into it and practiced it and applied it. Like some of the first things that we teach kids about God, you know, are his attributes and his characteristics. What are something real quick that if you were, if a kid were to come and ask you, hey, describe God, how would you describe him? Somebody. Love. What's that? All knowing. That's a good one. Love is a good one. What else? Merciful. What else? Forgiving. We have all these things that we tell people God is, and, and, and we bring that knowledge out a lot of times. We go, oh, this is God. And we put it back in. Okay? The big three for me growing up, all right, I like to call these Sunday school answers. All right? The big three for me growing up was uh, when somebody would say, okay, how is God, you know, who is he, what is he like? I'd say, okay, God is omniscient, he's, uh, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. You know, big words for like a six-year-old, but I learned them. <laughs> and I knew what they meant, too, you know. I had, I had the, uh, the definitions for them memorized. They were my go-to answer when somebody said, describe God. Boom, 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 those three, all right? And you know what those meant to me? It meant to me that God uh, knows everything, can do anything, and he is everywhere. But you know what? Those are just dictionary definitions. And dictionary definitions of God don't do anything for your personal life or for your walk with Christ. And I found in my life that as long as I saw God as a list of dictionary definitions, I was never really going to be very close to Him. I could show you a, a garage full of paint buckets and remodeling supplies, but those don't make a, an, an ugly house nice. If you're a Christian, you can show a whole bunch of knowledge about Christ, but it hasn't been applied to your life. Doesn't make your walk with Christ closed. Unapplied truth makes no changes. So back when I was a kid, uh, how many of y'all remember the G.I. Joe show? Okay, like the cartoon, not the movie, the cartoon. All right, not very many. Awesome. Huh? Okay. It was it was about it was about soldiers. All right, and they would fight the uh, what was it, the Cobras or something like that? Yeah, Cobra Command. <laughs> Marcus, I'm my buddy. <laughs> all right, he'll know the answer to this. I know it. So at the end of every, of every episode, there was like this little like two or three minute little after school special kind of deal that they would you know, talk about kids about the dangers of drugs and cheating in school and hanging around with, with bad people and bullies and whatnot. And, and they tell them something real short and quick and then this little cartoon kid would be like, and now we know. And G.I. Joe would say, and knowing is half the battle. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. All right. Now look, we go, knowing is half the battle, but what's the other half? Look, you and I both know that if, if we win, if we're winning half the battle, and then we lose the second half, we don't lost the battle. All right, how many of you are Cowboys fans? <laughs> Not me. I don't know why I raised my hand. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm a Redskins fan. There we go. So, yeah, hey, y'all can hate. It's okay. Look, the Redskins sometimes... I, I get the updates of their games, and I'm like, yes, they're winning first quarter. Yeah, they're going to lose. <laughs> because they do. They've only won one game this season, and uh, it's great, wonderful. Because they'll start off winning maybe sometimes, like half the time, and then they lose the rest of the battle, and they don't lost the battle. And it's marked as a zero, as a, as a loss. All right? Look, as a Christian, if I win half the battle and I give up, and I lose half the battle because knowing is half the battle. Man, I know about God and I know what he can do in my life and I know this and I know that. and I, Ah, oh, great, but if you don't apply it, you lose. 
This is, I think, where a lot of Christians are today, and this is where even I am in certain areas of my life. We know a lot, and then we get complacent about the knowledge that we have of God and about the Bible, and we lose the part of the battle that is the application. It's not an uncommon problem. The disciples had this problem, the ones that walked with Jesus. Okay, uh, So... Um, there's an instance where Jesus feeds a multitude of 5,000 men. There's a whole lot more because it just counted the men on that, that instance. There was women and children as well. Uh, but uh, this was a miracle in, in, in which the disciples were first-hand witnesses. There was no food except for this kid that had five loaves of bread and two fishes. And, and God took those, Jesus took those and, and multiplied it and fed everybody to full. And then there was 12 baskets of food left over. Okay, And, and a couple chapters later, um, there's a similar situation. There's 4,000 total people walking around following Jesus. He's been teaching them in the wilderness all the time. And, uh, and he says the same thing that he said back earlier in the other instance. He says, okay, disciples, go and feed these people because I have compassion on them. They're far from home. Go feed them. They're faint. They're hungry. Well, the first time the disciples said, Lord, we pull all our money together. We don't have enough money to feed even half of them. You know, there's, we don't have food. The stores won't have food enough to feed all these people. Well, this second time, if you're a disciple and Jesus says, okay, uh, hey, uh, you know what happened a week ago? Okay, let's feed these people. What would you say? You'd be like, all right, who's got the street tacos? Let's multiply those. <laughs> David, who's got the tamales? All right, who's got the brisket? We're just in that. There we go. And, and, and he's like, all right, let's multiply this stuff. But you know what the disciples did? They were like, hey Lord, we're in the middle of the wilderness and we don't have any food. How is it possible that we would feed all these people? And you can almost see Jesus go, I got a, I got a picture. <laughs> really, can't you almost see Jesus just roll his eyes and go, are you serious? But really, wouldn't that be your reaction too? Like a week ago, or however long ago it was, we just fed 15,000 people with five loaves. Just go find some bread. Oh yeah. And then go find some bread. All right? But look, I'm telling you what. If I was one of the disciples, I'd be looking for the street tacos. All right? But look, I want to take a few moments and look at these three attributes of God that were my big three growing up that made no difference in my life or my Christian walk with God until the day I learned to apply them. And, and, and that revolutionized my walk with Christ. It, it was, I mean, it, it turned it 180 degrees. Um, when I started learning what it was and then thinking through the process of what happened, because I wasn't like, okay, I need to apply these now. No, it just, it just finally clicked one day. So over this last week, I've been kind of trying to think how the process works to apply knowledge and apply truth to the knowledge and then apply all that truth to my life. Instead of just having it in a compartment where it's, I can take it out, see it, look at it, know it, and then put it back. And it affects nothing. So we're going to go through that today. Um, go to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. We're going to look at, at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, Jesus walking on the water really not going to talk a whole lot about Jesus walking on the water. All right. Look, the first thing I want to look at is God's omniscience. Sunday school definition is God knows everything. All right. I think we take this attribute for granted. I don't think there's a person in here that goes, oh, I, 
I never knew God knew everything. But we probably all heard that, and we probably all know it, and we probably all believe it. But I think a lot of times we take that for granted. I mean, we even say it sometimes. Oh, well, you know, only God knows. Well, God only knows why this happened. And, and that's it. We leave it. We don't ever apply it. We don't ever meditate on it. We never think about it. Um, and, uh, but, but really, what does it mean that God knows everything? Well, you know, it means He knew how hard it was for you to get to church this morning. He means He knew that your kids didn't want to take a shower last night. Okay? Or this morning. Or didn't want to put on matching socks. Or whatever. He knew all that. Uh, it means that... Uh, he, uh, he sees and knows your situation better than you do. It means he, knew, he knows everything that led up to that situation. And not only that, he knows everything that goes beyond that situation. It means he has a plan for your life. Let's look at Mark chapter 6. He's known these things and everything since the beginning of time. I want to I show you in Jesus this. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 48. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side unto Bethsaida while he sent the people away. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, uh, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed them by. I should notice in verse 48 there's something that's really, really important. It's the first four words. Read them with me slowly, out loud. Already? And he saw them. Let that sink in for a little bit. He saw them. Where was Jesus? He was up on a mountain. Most likely a mountain that overlooked the Sea of Galilee. But what had he gone to do? He'd gone to pray. What are these events after? If you read the first part of, uh, of Mark chapter 6, you see that Jesus receives the news that his cousin, the man that introduced him to Israel, basically, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. They come and tell Jesus, Jesus, your cousin, this man is very important to you, very important to your ministry. He's dead. And you read on and it says that Jesus decided to go into the wilderness and take his disciples and be alone. Because he needed that. And as he goes off, people see. And they go, oh look, there's Jesus. And this crowd of thousands starts following Jesus. And he looks back. And instead of going, get away from me. Don't you know what's, <laughs> what's happened? And he turns back and he tells his disciples, I have compassion on them. And he starts to teach them. And he teaches them all day long. Because that's what they're there for. They're there to hear Jesus. And he sits and he teaches them all day long. And then he tells the disciples, oh, we need to feed them. And he feeds them. He does a miracle. And he, after it's all done, it's getting close to sundown, he tells the disciples, go over to the other, sea, the other side of the, of the sea and I'll meet you there um, I'll be there when you get there, and then I'll, I've got to go and pray. So he goes up on this mountain, and he has his alone time with, with God the Father. But all the time, he's watching the disciples. 
When they left, Jesus told the disciples to get in that boat across the sea. <clears throat> but all the while, while he's praying, he's watching the disciples. He knew there was a storm coming. Listen, Jesus knew that they would have a hard time crossing that sea. He knew that they would be stuck in the middle of the sea halfway through the night, and they would not be able to make progress or make any headway at all. Jesus knew it. And in his omniscience, he kept a watchful eye on his disciples. Why don't you take a note of this now? Jesus didn't give the disciples a heads up. He didn't say, hey, go cross that sea. By the way, take your ponchos. <laughs> it's going to rain on you. He didn't say, take the big oars. You're going to be rowing. I just said, go cross the sea. You know what the disciples thought, probably? Oh, we've crossed this sea a lot of times. We're just doing it again. And jumped into the boat and started crossing. Never thinking. Never suspecting what would come. And during the storm, who knows how many hours they've been rowing, Jesus is still keeping an eye on them. Look at the disciples at that point would have realized that Jesus was watching them and, and realized his omniscience about everything, uh, I think this would have been a comfort to them. And you guys say, well, how? They're in the middle of a storm. They're rowing. Didn't change their situation. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, Jesus knowing about our situation and other people knowing about our situation makes a big difference. Amen. Listen, if I know that God knows my struggles makes a big difference than if you know my struggles. Because you may not be able to do anything for my struggles. But God can. And in fact, not only can He, He already has a plan to get through those struggles. He knew those struggles before they came up. But knowing about something, just like G.I. Joe said, just half the battle. But the disciples could have full confidence in Jesus if they had just known, oh, Jesus knows we're here. It's all right. Jesus knows we're here. Because I dare say that they knew Jesus was all-powerful. That's our next point. I want to look at God's omnipotence. Sunday school definition. God can do anything. All right? But listen. The disciples go, uh, Jesus knows we're here. We're struggling. And he sees us and he watches us. And you know what? He has the power over the storm because he'd called the storm before. They'd have thought about that. They'd have known. Ha He can calm this storm now too. And look, when I realize this omnipotence in conjunction with his omniscience, I realize that I never, ever have to fear a situation that comes up in my life ever again. Because God already knows about it and he has all control over it. Look at Mark 6 again, verses 48 through 41. It says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the seas, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it, has been a, it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them. And he said, Be of good cheer, is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Y'all see that? Jesus, in his omnipotence, goes walking on the sea that's giving them trouble, against the wind that's giving them trouble, 
like nothing. He's not yelling, hey guys, it's okay, it's just me. No, he says, and Jesus spoke with them. Even his voice is omnipotent. Wouldn't it be? Since God spoke the world into existence, he said, let there be light. There was light. All Jesus had to do in that, in, that, in that wind, I mean, we've been out in the wind where you're standing five feet from somebody and you've got to yell. And all Jesus had to do was speak. Don't worry, it's just me. And his voice carried over that wind, carried over those waves, carried over that rain, carried over the mist, carried over the, the, the troubled spirits of the disciples. And he's walking. He's walking. Their problems meant nothing to him as far as bothering him. <laughs> the Bible said he was walking so fast he was going to pass them. That's how he was going to meet up with them already on the other side whenever they got there. He was just going to run across the ocean or the, the sea. And look, having the understanding that Jesus is omniscient and omnipotent would have been good for the disciples, but only if there's one more thing that they could count on. And that's his omnipresence. God's omnipresence, Sunday school answer, Sunday school definition is this, is God is everywhere. Well, that's great. But what does it mean to you? To the disciples it meant that Jesus knew everything and he could do and control anything and that was good. But I believe it gave them a peace and a comfort to know that Jesus was there out on that sea. In fact, I know it gave them a peace and a comfort because if you read the story in Matthew, Matthew records something that Mark and John don't record when they tell this story. Matthew records Peter's response to all of this. Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, you call on me and I'll jump out and walk on the water with you. And Jesus said, come on down. Peter jumps out. He's not scared anymore. He was one of the ones that was scared going, oh no, we're not going to be able to make it across. But now he's confident. He walks across and he starts walking towards Jesus. And look, it made a difference to Peter that Jesus was there. None of the disciples before that would have ever even thought, let's just walk across this windy ocean, this windy sea. No, it made a big difference that Jesus was there. And even when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus for a second and started to sink, he applied the knowledge, Jesus is still there, and he cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus grabbed him by the arm and pulled him up. Listen, listen the seemingly routine task turned into turmoil, and it did it quick. But because of Jesus' omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, it was a moment of victory and an event that gave God the glory at that time and an event that gives God the glory even now as we talk about it. These three amazing attributes applied to the disciples' lives in the current situation they were found in was amazing. But what does that mean to you and to me today? Nothing. If we don't apply it. If you know this story frontwards and backwards, it's my favorite story. I love it. If you know it frontwards and backwards, it will not help you walk with Christ until you apply the truths of this story to your life. I want this to be very real, very relevant to our situations today. To do that, <clears throat> I'll be making this application for us in a moment. To a recent event 
that affected our church. Saturday morning, October the 19th, 2019, each member of Eagle Drive Baptist Church, each member of Carrie's friends and family, woke up to set off on their routine tasks. For the men of Eagle Drive that were planning on coming to the men's prayer breakfast, it meant wake up early, get there if you're going to cook, make sure you're there on time, cook some eggs, cook some sausage, make some gravy, go to a men's prayer breakfast, eat, have a good time talking, watch a video, answer some questions in a book, have a conversation about God in our lives, and then continue the day in a work day. For everybody else, it just meant wake up, go on with your normal routine in life. Nothing super out of the ordinary probably for any of us. In fact, we were commanded to go about our ordinary lives and our routine tasks for the honor and the glory of God's name, which is what we're commanded to do every day. And so we did that. And we got up and God said, okay, now cross this sea. Okay. And we all got in our respective boats and we started chugging to where God was leading us that day. Little did we know that around 11.30 on that routine day, a dark storm would just suddenly flare up. Some of us are still in the middle of that storm, the likes of which we've not seen before. We've never experienced it before. The passing of a father, a son, a brother, a friend came suddenly without warning. There are people here today in the middle of a storm, toiling and struggling in the middle of a sea that it seems like they can't get to the other side on. And maybe that's you this morning. But God is omniscient. And we need to meditate on the knowledge that we have of God. David talks so much about meditating in God's Word and, and in the Psalms that he wrote. <clears throat> and I finally figured out why. The purpose of meditating on the Lord and on His Word is not to learn more. It's to apply more. You read God's Word to learn more. You meditate on God's Word to apply it. I just finally clicked this week. Maybe I'm slow. Listen, as you read and you listen to God's Word, you'll learn more about God and His ways. When you meditate it, you mull it over, and you start developing a strategy to how to apply it. Meditating is taking time to apply what you know about God in your life, and that's going to be this right here. That's what you know about God in your life. I like to play with Play-Doh. The only thing is that it stinks. This is your situation. And oftentimes we keep the knowledge of what we know about God and the Bible in one hand. And we keep our situations in another hand. And never the twain shall meet. Meditating on the Lord and what we know about Him. It's not just going, oh, look, look at what I know about God. Oh, that's nice. Oh, man, this situation really stinks. It means you sit and you pray and you think and you pray and you think and you pray and you think and you go, God... I know these things about you. 
How does that affect me now? You go, okay, God's omniscience. That means God knows everything. That means that Carrie's death did not catch him by surprise. That means that he intended us to initiate our day without any warning as to what was going to happen that morning. God's omniscience means that he has a plan to get you and me through this time. It means that he's allowed this for our good, and more importantly, that he's allowed this to get glory out of it, not just now, but years and even generations down the road. Okay? What's God's omnipotence mean for me now? It means that God has the power to do anything. It means that God has the power to change how this storm affects me and how it molds me. And instead of letting the storm mold me, I can let God mold me. It means he has the power to bring peace in the midst of the storm. God's omnipotence means that you don't have to be omnipotent. And I don't have to be omnipotent. I don't even have to be a little bit potent. It means that I can rely on his strength. It means that I don't have to be strong. I can let him be strong. That I can take what I see in 2 Corinthians, that when I am weak, he is strong. That I can say like Paul, that his strength is made perfect and his grace is made perfect in my weakness. That's what God's omnipotence means. It means that I can break down and cry. It means that I can go, man, this really, really hurts, and then lean on God. It means that God can use His strength at that point to help me help others. And lastly, God's omnipresence. It means that God's everywhere. This means that while Carrie was going through the valley of the shadow of death, God was holding his hand. I was glad I was there because he's my buddy. He's my friend. But God was there. And he was not alone. It means that God was there with me. It means that God was there with you wherever you were. When you got that call, when you got that text, when you read that Facebook post, God was there with you, right there. And He still is. It means that when you leave here and go home, He'll be with you. It means that He's right there beside you right now. It means that tonight when you go to sleep and you're left alone with your thoughts and your emotions, He's there. His omniscience means that He knows those thoughts and those emotions. His omnipotence means that with His power, you can handle what life throws at you. Not because I'm strong, because God is strong. Look at this. When we apply those things and we just mull it over and mull it over, there's not a person in this world that can separate all the green from the red. Everything is intertwined. And that's how intertwined God wants to be in your life. In every situation. Listen, maybe you're going through something else this morning. And you know about God and you know your situation. 